Good morning. If you will, turn your copy of Scripture to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one under the seat in front of you or somewhere near you. Today's passage can be found on page 818, page 818. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 23. And uh, for those whom I haven't had the pleasure to meet, my name is Kevin, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Crawford Avenue. And today we're going to be examining the parable of the souls. Or in some of your Bibles, the heading might be the parable of the sower. Um, As we've discussed before regarding parables, uh, parables are stories or teachings that have a central point and are meant to teach an important lesson. Uh, It's important that we don't get too wrapped up in every single detail of the parable, but we want to learn the lesson that is being taught through the parable. And so today's parable is unique from a standpoint that we don't have to wonder what it means because Jesus tells us what it means in our text. So what we want to do this morning is to examine the main principles uh, of the parable and to see its implications for us today. Um, the parable of the souls is ultimately about the mystery of kingdom ministry or gospel ministry. How are people brought into the kingdom of God and why do some people produce spiritual fruit in their lives and others do not? So let's look at our passage and see what the Lord has to teach us this morning. Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. And here's our explanation. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to hear what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So here we have Jesus is resting on the seashore of Galilee, and as the crowds begin to come to him, he gets in a boat and he pushes out to the water and begins to teach them in parables. Since Jesus' ministry began, he has been going through the region and teaching and preaching on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the central theme to Jesus' ministry. And as we see in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is baptized, he is tempted by Satan, and immediately after that, he begins his ministry. And Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 17 records this, and it reads, it says that now... When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. Galilee is the area where our text is taking place. It says, And leaving Nazareth, he, lived, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And here it is, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven that you're referring to? It is important for our understanding of our parable this morning that we understand the implications or the idea of the kingdom. The kingdom of God ultimately means the sovereign rule and reign of God over all things. It is to say that God is king. The Old Testament teaches us a lot about the kingdom of God. And we know that the Jews were anticipating a coming kingdom in which God would sit on the throne of David and rule over his people in all the earth. In Psalm 145, King David wrote these words. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And then down further he says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So you have this idea that while David is the king of Israel and he is sitting on the throne and he is ruling over God's people, he is speaking of a greater kingdom that is to come that will be an everlasting kingdom and God will sit on the throne as king. God will one day bring in and rule over an everlasting kingdom. 
This is what the Jews were waiting on in anticipation and anticipating. So now we go back to Jesus' words in which he began his ministry with in Matthew 4 when Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now you can see why the Jews are excited and why the crowds are following and gathering around Jesus as he's proclaiming that this kingdom that they've been anticipating is now at hand. And in the meanwhile, he's doing this, he's also healing all kinds of diseases through the land. And so everyone's excited and these crowds are gathering around. And so now that this, this is the context in which we find Jesus is teaching in our text. So with this idea of God reigning over his kingdom, let us look at our first point of our text. The first point of our text today is going to be God's sovereignty over grace. God's sovereignty over grace. Uh, Let's look at verses 10 through 17. It reads, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here we have the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him, why does he talk to them in parables? And what Jesus tells them is that um, he tells them that to them it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to others it was not given. So you have this, this idea of Jesus is choosing to give something to some and not to others. One group um, is blessed and the other is not. This theme is common throughout Scripture as we see Israel is blessed with the things of God and the covenants of God. Nations like Egypt and other nations are not. We see Jacob is blessed by God with the things of God and the covenant of God, and his brother Esau is not. If you flip back in your Bible a page or two and look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 25, uh, you'll see Um, that after Jesus has just condemned certain cities for not repenting as he preached in their cities, he says something that's really interesting uh, to our text today. Uh, Jesus says in verse 25, he says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And here it is. 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So here we find almost the exact same language or the same principle that we have in Matthew 13. God has hidden certain things from some, and he has revealed them to others by his gracious will. So God is sovereign over who he gives his grace to, and he is sovereign over who he brings into his kingdom. There are some who would say, well, that's not very fair of God. But in reality, we know that no one truly wants fairness. No person who realizes the weight of their sin and the guilt that their sin uh, and the punishment that sin requires wants fairness from God. We, we don't want fairness. What we want is grace from God. We want grace from what we deserve and the penalties of our sin. So in God's grace, he has chosen to show his love and his mercy to some according to his purposes. You might be asking, what does this have to do with the parable? And we're going to get to that. But in the parable, in this parable, you know, Jesus gives the parable and he gives the explanation. But in between these two things, Jesus gives us the context that we need to properly understand the explanation when he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. See, Isaiah chapter 6 is a picture of God's future reign on the throne. And while we like to look at God's kingdom in terms of the good things that will, that, um, that will come in and the good things that God provides and God making all things new, Isaiah 6 is about the judgment of God's future kingdom against those whose hearts are dull and do not repent of their sins. When we read Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was condemning the unbelief of cities for not repenting. And in our text, verse 13 he explains why they do not believe by quoting Isaiah. Jesus says the prophecy of Isaiah 6 is fulfilled, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. He says, hearts have grown dull, their, ears, their eyes and ears are closed, and in their hearts they do not understand. This is the context for our passage. And now I will admit there have been many, many great sermons preached on Isaiah chapter 6. And I could not do it justice in the time that we have remaining. But what I do want us to understand about Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, is that the prophet Isaiah has had a vision of God in the temple and on the throne. And the train of God's robe has filled the entire temple. And he is surrounded by majestic angels called seraphim. And these seraphim, they have six wings, and it tells us that with two wings they covered their eyes, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. And while they're flying, they're saying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in this magnificent picture of God's holiness and power, Isaiah is brought to the realization that his own, of his own uncleanness and the uncleanness of everyone around him. He says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then it tells us that one of the seraphim, took a hot coal from the altar 
and touched his mouth. And the angel said to him, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So in this vision, you have a picture of God's reign and rule filling the whole earth. And in fully seeing the holiness of God, Isaiah sees his sin and is brought to repentance and made clean. Now, that is a simple Cliff Notes version of Isaiah 6. There's a lot in there. And after that, he he says that he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, in hearing this, says, here I am, send me. And the Lord said to him, go say to this people, and the following quote that God gives Isaiah to say to the people is the quote that Jesus quotes in our text in Matthew 13. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So even though the word of God is preached to them, it has become a judgment on their inability and refusal to repent. Now with this in mind, this context in mind, now now let's look at our parable. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. It says, hear then the parable of the soul. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And, and yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So here it is. This brings us to our second point of our text, and that is a good heart will produce fruit. A good heart will produce fruit. So here is in this parable, so here's the parable explained. Jesus tells of a farmer who goes out to plant seeds in a field. And as the, par- as the sower, as the farmer or the sower tosses the seeds, the seeds fall in different areas of soil. Jesus is the sower, the seed is the word of God, and the different soils where the seeds land are the hearts of those who hear the word of God. This parable is teaching us why some respond one way to the preaching of the word while others respond differently. It's about the heart. It is not about a person's intellect or the craftiness of how well the gospel is presented to them. Nor is it about how good was the worship service that day. People do not believe the word of God and repent in their hearts because their hearts are bad soul. Let's look at each of the examples Jesus gives us of bad soul in our text. 
Verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So around those fields, uh, there was usually a dirt walk path or a pathway for people to walk around. And I don't know if you guys have ever walked on a dirt path, but it's usually very hard ground that, very, that isn't good for farming or taking in seeds. And mainly because of the foot traffic that goes back and forth. So as the sower is tossing the seeds, or as a person um, is preaching the, God, the word of God, the seed or the gospel lands on a heart that is hard and worn. And the seed of the gospel, or the gospel is rejected. So we're told that Satan snatches away, snatches it away as a bird snatches away seeds from the ground. So these are the seeds that fell along the path. Verse 20 is our next example of bad soil. And he says, for those were sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is amazing because we're told that someone can, ori- can originally receive the word with joy, but eventually fall away. I think it's important for us to note that this isn't an example of true conversion, although the person originally showed fruit of belief. This isn't teaching us that a person can truly be converted and lose their salvation. This is doing quite the opposite. It is teaching us why there are those among us who appear to be a part of the faith and walking with the Lord, but eventually fall away. Um, it says, it, look what it says. It says, they have no root, but they endure for a while. Have you ever seen a plant that grows in shallow dirt or like a rock bed or even within the, the cracks of concrete? Um, they spring up really fast, and, but when the, the heat of the sun comes out, they burn. They don't last long. They die out. And this is because they have no root to sustain them. This is why First John tells us that, They went out from us, but they were not of us, because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. There is no one who loses their salvation. If a person begins to not show fruit or to leave the faith altogether, it is because they have never believed in their heart to begin with. This is a shallow belief that sits just beneath the surface but has no roots to sustain it. The third example that Jesus gives us in our text, in verse 22, he says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Here we have the heart that loves the world and is chasing the things of the world. The deceitfulness of riches uh, chokes the word in their heart, and it bears no fruit. You remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal, eternal life? And he thought that he was righteous and he claimed that he had kept the law perfectly. But Jesus, knowing the idols of his heart, tells him, okay, well then go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And we're told that he ran away weeping because he had great possessions. 
The point that Jesus was making was not that Jesus wants all rich people to sell everything they have. The issue was this man loved those things more than he loved Jesus. What does 1 John tell us about loving the world? He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is, is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Do not let the cares and deceitfulness of the world keep you from Jesus. And finally, we have the good soil of our text. Uh, verse 23, it says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who, bears, who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the good heart that understands the gospel, and in understanding the gospel, realizes their sin and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and it bears spiritual fruit. This heart is the opposite of the others. The word of God penetrates the heart. It is not just on the surface to where it can be snatched away. It is planted deep in their soul. It isn't a shallow faith, and it remains faithful and perseveres through trials and persecution, and neither is it a heart that loves or covets the things of the world. No, this is the good heart that bears good fruit and sustains good fruit. However, there is a problem with our parable. The problem with our parable is that it requires a person to have a good heart. Do we have good hearts? Are human beings by nature good? The statement that people make that are walking in their sin all the time, that they use to bring themselves comfort, but it really should cause them to tremble and fall to their knees. And that's the statement that God knows their heart. That should not be a comforting statement. Because the thing is, it's actually true. That's the sad thing about it. The statement is true that God does know the heart. But the problem is they believe that their soul is good because their idea of good is based on their own, stand, on their own understanding, their own standards of what is good and not on God's standard of what is good. It's not based on God's holiness and righteousness. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked. And in Romans chapter 3, the apostle Paul tells us that none is righteous. No, not one. He says, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have sinned. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So do you see the problem? If a good heart is required, but yet Scripture tells us that there isn't a single person who is good, then how is anyone saved? How does anyone enter the kingdom of God. The disciples asked this exact same question. And his response to them in Matthew 19 was this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What Jesus is saying is, we can enter the kingdom of God unless God himself does a work on our behalf. If we just read the parable at face value, we might be tempted to be proud or to poke our chest out because 
we have the good hearts, right? We are good soul, and those wicked unbelievers are just bad soul with bad hearts. But the truth is, we were all bad soul. None is righteous, no, not one. This applies to everyone. So how can anyone enter? In John chapter 3, a man by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus regarding this exact same question. And before he can even ask the question, Jesus says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Needless to say, Nicodemus was confused as to how a grown man could climb back into his mother's womb and be born again. That's just how humanly impossible it is for man to achieve this on his own. Jesus was referring to a spiritual rebirth, not a natural birth. You must be born again. You need a new spiritual heart. So how do we get one of these new spiritual hearts that is necessary to enter the kingdom of God? God says, I'm going to give it to you. And this is the good news. It says in the book of Ezekiel, God tells us exactly how he is going to solve our dilemma of needing a good heart. In Ezekiel 36, verses 24, uh, God says this. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will pit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will pit my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be, and be careful to obey my rules. I will, I will, I will. There are seven I wills that God declares in just those three verses. The only way we become good soul is by the sovereign grace of God. It is he who reigns over his kingdom, and it is he who determines who gets to hear the secrets of the kingdom and who, gets to, and who he brings into the kingdom of God. He is king. One final takeaway take from our text that is very important that we cannot overlook. The seed and the sower are necessary. The seed and the sower are necessary. For people to enter the kingdom of God, the word of God must be sown in people's hearts. It must be proclaimed. Look at verse 19. It says, when anyone hears the word. Verse 20, this is the one who hears the word. Verse 22, this is the one who hears the word. And in verse 23, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Do you see how important the proclamation of God's word is? What did we read earlier when Mike did the, respond, the um, corporate reading? How will they believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God expresses this principle, and he shows us in Ezekiel the power of his word to bring new life and to bring about his will in gathering his people for himself. 
in Ezekiel 37, he shows us that preaching, that the preaching of the word is essential to new life. In Ezekiel 37, God tells us this. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. Now, just to give some context, this is Ezekiel having a vision. And he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you and, and, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and as I was commanded and, I, and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling of the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinew on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. And there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and, and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. So here you have this vision of dead, dry bones. Dead, dry bones. You guys ever seen someone who eats a chicken bone to the point where they suck everything out of it to the dog won't even eat it? Have you ever seen that? I mean, it's like, man, there is nothing left in that bone. It is dead. It is dry. These are the bones that were in the field, dead, dry bones. And he says, prophesy, and he preaches, them, preaches to them. And as he's preaching, they come alive, God's army, God's people. Hear the word of the Lord. The seed and the sower are necessary. We must preach and proclaim the gospel to dry bones and to hard hearts because God will produce the fruit. Isaiah said, here I am, send me when faced with this. Will we say the same? Will we go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom so that others will believe? In our homes, in the streets, in grocery stores, in our place of work, Will we partner to send others to proclaim the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth? This is the mission. This is what we've been commissioned to do. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he is teaching us that he is the sovereign ruler of his kingdom. He is the one who chooses who receives his grace and who does not. And it is he who determines who enters the kingdom. So take comfort knowing that for those who have experienced the saving grace of the Lord Jesus, that you are his workmanship and he will keep you to the end. And as you preach or evangelize to others, take comfort knowing that it is God who produces the fruit and not the eloquence of our speech. 
The Apostle Paul is the writer of the majority of the New Testament. He went on countless missionary journeys and he planted countless churches. And this is how he describes himself in 2 Corinthians 11. He describes himself as an unskilled speaker. Needless to say, that if you are wondering what Paul's evangelism strategy was, he simply said, I planted and God gave the growth. God likes to take the most broken, unskilled vessels to accomplish his greatest works. So don't worry if you're not the most skilled speaker. Just speak and let God do the work. Whether the message is accepted or it is rejected, it is God who does the work. And if you are here today and you do not believe you are walking with the Lord, repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. He is the king of all that is made and he will return to establish his earthly kingdom. And when he does, he will gather the harvest that is his and he will burn the chaff that is not. He is your only hope. And not just that, there is nothing in this, that this world has to offer that can compare to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Give your life to him as your Lord and as your king. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today praising you, Father, for you are our king and you are our Lord. We thank you for your sovereign grace by which you have saved us, by which you have turned our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. You have accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. May we take comfort in this and may we praise you and may we worship you. And may we go and fulfill your commandment to take this word of the kingdom to all the ends of the earth. We pray for the lost. We pray for those who don't know you. Give us courage to speak and to trust that it is you who provides the increase. Allow us to plant. In your son Jesus' name we pray.